Our passage tonight is uh, found in the New Testament, the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 23 through 33. 1 Corinthians 10, 23 through 33. Tonight we're finishing out a six-week series called Everyday Gospel, where we've been looking at the everyday normal issues that many of us, most of us, all of us face in our lives, and uh, how the gospel changes or makes any difference in those parts of our life. And tonight we're looking at the idea of recreation, or fun, or play, or hobbies. Probably something you haven't heard much about in churches. I've never preached a sermon on it, so we'll see how it goes. It was fun for for me to think about that this week as uh, through the lens of the gospel. And the text that we're going to use to think through the idea of how the gospel impacts or affects our recreational lives is this text in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So I'm going to read it for us, 1 Corinthians 10, beginning in verse 23, and go through the end of the chapter in verse 33. This is God's word for you, so give it your attention. Listen to it tonight as God speaks to us. This is the Apostle Paul writing, and he says, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it. For the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that for which I give thanks? So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. This is God's word. Let's pray together and ask him to help us understand, understand it rightly. Please join me. Father, we come to you now and ask again that you would come and work in our lives. Help us to, help us to believe that the things you have for us here are true and meaningful. Father, we pray that you would help us to have hearts that are able to take in this part of the scripture and embrace them in faith. And Father, perhaps tonight some of us are coming from a place of deep doubt and skepticism regarding the scriptures. Some of us are coming here tonight, Father, just tired and worn out after another long week. Some of us are coming here tonight um, confused and unsure of what's to come in the next days or weeks or months. No matter who we are tonight, God, we're coming here with some sort of problem with some sort of issue, with some sort of uncertainty. And so we pray that you would use this time together in the Bible to equip us for every good work, to help us to believe that you care for us, that you are good, and that you love your people. And God, we pray that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, would more and more and more impact every part of our lives, that it would change every fabric of our beings. And we pray those things In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, your eternal, only begotten Son. Amen. One famous definition of Puritanism. I don't know who authored this definition, but it's definitely famous. My guess is you've heard it before. It goes like this. They say that 
Puritan, it, Puritanism is the disturbing feeling that someone somewhere is having fun. It's the disturbing feeling that someone somewhere is having fun. That's actually not a good definition of Puritanism or the Puritan movement, but it's oftentimes the way people feel about Christians, about church, about the faith that is Christianity. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation in your life where you felt like whoever was in authority in that situation wanted to make sure that no one had any fun ever. I have especially in fifth grade. This is seared deeply into my memory, but my fifth grade teacher, his name was Mr. Keith, at Belmar Elementary School in Amarillo, Texas, um, was, was the kind of guy that didn't think fifth graders uh, should act like fifth graders. He thought the fifth graders should act like, I don't know, 75-year-olds, who knows, but people his age. And he had a list of rules that was longer than any list of rules I had ever seen in a class up to that point or in any class after that. And any time one of Mr. Keith's manifold rules was broken by one of us rebellious, disobedient fifth graders, he would say one thing, red book. And we all knew what the red book meant. The red book was a red book. It was really more like an encyclopedia. It was about this thick. And on the red book, there was just a list of name after name after name going through the years of Mr. Keith's fifth grade classes. And every time you disobeyed or broke one of Mr. Keith's many rules, you had to go and sign your name in the next place in the red book and then write out exactly what you had done that was wrong. It became, a, it became a famous thing at Belmar Elementary School, even among young kids. He tormented us mercilessly with the Red Book. I think my younger brother, Andrew, still has the record for the most Red Book entries in one school year, which is something that the Evans family is very, very proud of. But um, the, uh, we really are proud of that. It was, it's kind of funny. Um, the Red Book is, is a great example of how you feel when you're in a culture or in a situation where... Where just relaxing and having a good time, being open to enjoying life seems to be completely out of the question. Now, as I mentioned, many people think that Christians are people that would love the sort of situation that I found myself in in fifth grade. That to be a Christian and to follow Jesus means that really you just have to keep a big, big list of rules. And whatever you do for fun, whatever entertains you, whatever recreational life you enjoy has to, well, it has to go out the window. I wonder what the Bible actually says about that sort of idea. You know, we're trying to get at these everyday issues that we all come across all the time in our lives in this series. So we've looked at ideas like work and marriage and rest and how being a Christian, a follower of Jesus, makes any difference in these normal everyday, routine experiences that we face. And I think that we would be remiss if we failed to think just a little bit together tonight about how the gospel changes the way we recreate, the way we play, the way we have fun. And I believe that the Bible does have things to say about this topic. And so what I want to do with you is take a look at this chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, to try and get a handle on how we, as Christ followers, or if you're not a Christ follower, how you can understand how believing the gospel and living out the gospel might make some difference in the way you think about 
your free time and having fun. What's going on here in 1 Corinthians 10 is really important for me to tell you about just for a minute before we dive in. You see, Corinthians, uh, the Corinthian church was a church that had been planted by the Apostle Paul a few years before he wrote this letter. And ancient Corinth, which is in present-day Greece, was like, it was like the Las Vegas of the ancient world. It was sort of a crossroads city with major highways going in and out of it in all directions. And so it was a melting pot of all sorts of different cultures. And Paul came in there and planted this church. And people who had been far away from Jesus of Nazareth, people who had never read a word of the Old Testament, were converted and became followers of Jesus and entered into this young upstart church plant that Paul was beginning in Corinth. Corinthian, the Corinthian church had a, had a load of people from all sorts of backgrounds and from all sorts of life situations that were dealing with all sorts of really, really messy issues. And if you read through the first letter of Corinthians, you'll see time and time again that Paul is head-on addressing some of the significant moral failings and sticky situations that that young church found themselves in almost 2,000 years ago now. He's doing that in many ways here in 1 Corinthians 10. And really what, what the problem was in this instance is that in the Corinthian church, there were, there were two big groups, two parties. One was what we'll call the license party, the license group. And here's basically what they said and lived out. God loves me. Let's party. (laughs) God loves me so we can do whatever we want. God loves me. I've got my, I've got my one-way ticket to heaven, my fire insurance, and I'm now going to have fun, do whatever I want, enjoy my recreational life to the fullest extent possible, and make use of all the many things that Corinth has to provide. That's, that's the license party. It was, a, it was a significant group in this young church in Corinth. And the second party is what we'll call the legalist party. The legalist party said, in order for God to love me, I have to keep all the rules. In order for God to love me, I have to keep all the rules. They were the people that would have been mortified and disgusted by much of what was going on in ancient Corinth as they looked around the city. They're the ones that would have been, they would have been scrupulous in their obedience. They would have been tit for tat in the way they thought about relationships. They would have, they would have had a long checklist and made sure that every single box was marked because they believed that the more obedient they were at the end of the day, the more God would favor them. And these two parties obviously were very different and they had conflict. They had tension. They brought significant issues in and of themselves and especially when they hung out with each other in this ancient church. And so Paul, in many ways here in chapter 10, is addressing the issues that were brought out by the misunderstanding of the gospel that was demonstrated by both the license group and the legalist group. And what he's, the reason why that's relevant, by the way, is, is because it's because when we think in our own lives today about what we do for fun, about our recreational lives or hobbies, about, about play, we tend more or less to think about those things through the grid of either license or legalism. 
just like the Corinthians did 2,000 years ago when the Apostle Paul wrote this letter. Especially if you've been around the church for a while, my guess is you have had some experience of the legalist group. They're found all over the planet to this very day in churches in every country of the world. This is the group and the church that is, is cold and frigid and hard and enslaved and produces clones. It produces uh, people who just want a list of rules that someone gives them and that they accept. It's the kind of church that has an answer to every single question but doesn't want anyone to ask any questions. It's the kind of church that has things change very, very seldomly because everyone and everything is all locked up. That's the, that's the license group and the, or the legalist group and the legalist culture that we, most of us, my guess, has, have experienced at least to some degree today. The license group, however, is also very common today in our lives and in our churches. The license group basically goes into spiritual and moral carelessness very quickly. People do whatever they want with whoever they want and wake up one day to sort of find themselves completely off of the reservation. So I think that these texts, these verses from Paul are relevant for the way we think today about our own fun, our own recreation. And here's the main idea I want to communicate to you tonight from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The gospel frees you to enjoy life and to live for the sake of others at the same time. Okay? The gospel frees you to enjoy life and to live for the sake of others at the same time. So let's just break that down into two points. First, the gospel frees you to enjoy life. Secondly, the gospel frees you to live for the sake of others and do both of these things at the same time. That's what Paul's saying here. So first, let me show you. The gospel frees you to enjoy life. Look at what Paul writes there in verse 23. All things are lawful. In fact, he says it twice. All things are lawful. And he also had said that back in chapter 6. Uh, what, he's, what he's saying here, really, in most Bible translations, those words are in quotation marks. If you look in your Bible and you see them in quotation marks, the reason is because that was almost certainly like a slogan that the Corinthians, especially the license party, was normally saying and living out. You know, it's like a WWJD bracelet. Remember those things? These had all things, the Corinthians had the all things are lawful bracelets back in the day, right? They, they, were, they were common sayings. It was a slogan that people used here and there that they tried to live by. All things are lawful. God has freed me by his grace. I can basically do whatever I want. That's a popular slogan that Paul is addressing here. And I want you to see that Paul, in many ways, agrees. He doesn't come down and say, no, that's not right. He, he twice quotes with approval this slogan, all things are lawful. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, he says something very similar. He says, it is for freedom. Freedom. That Christ has set us free. You are free to enjoy the many things in life that are enjoyable. You are free to have fun. To have hobbies. To pursue recreational activities. Those things are lawful for you. Now when he says here, all things are lawful. He means, now this is important. He means all things that are not explicitly forbidden by scripture. Okay, just to be clear. If, if. The Bible says, thou shalt not commit adultery, or thou shalt not steal, or thou shalt not covet. 
Those things are not lawful. (laughs) What Paul's referring to here and what the Corinthians were referring to were the many, many, many things that we face in life about which there is no one Bible verse that you can point to and know what you should do. He's pointing to what theologians have called the things that are indifferent, the things that are sort of gray. They're not explicitly forbidden. The Bible doesn't have a verse about them anywhere, and we sometimes wonder if we can do them. Paul here is saying, you're free. You're free. And so I think that's relevant for our recreation lives in this sense. Paul is, he's enabling you and allowing you as a Christian. Now listen, he is allowing you, and in fact, he is inviting you to enjoy God's creation, to chill out and have a good time, to pursue pleasure in whatever ways that are not explicitly forbidden by Scripture and that you think are fun and bring you life and bring you joy, those are good things. He's, he's countering here the tendency of the legalistic party to think, that, to think that if we don't check off every list and if we do things that might not seem perfect, that God somehow doesn't approve of us or love us anymore. He's saying, no, no, all things are lawful. You are free. Go enjoy God's creation. Go have fun. Relax. And I want you to see very importantly that he gives the reason why right here in the text. Why are all things lawful? Why do we have this freedom? Well, he tells us there in verse 26, 4, and then he quotes from Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. In other words, God made everything. And God made everything good. And God planted man in the garden to enjoy, to work, yes, to be married and have children, yes, but to enjoy the garden, to have fun, to play, to have a life of, of leisure at times, a life that pursues pleasure. These things are okay. These things are noble. The earth is the Lord's. Go enjoy it. And you see, the gospel, the gospel of Jesus, the good news, frees us to actually go and do that. And the way it frees us to actually go do that is, is by telling us again and again and again that God's approval of us is not based on how scrupulous we think we are being in obeying God's rules. God's approval of us does not fundamentally rest on how righteous and religious we think we are in comparison to other people. God's approval of us does not rest at the end of the day on what we have done or what we have not done. God's approval of us rests on the work of Jesus. God's love for you is based on God's love for Jesus. God's acceptance of you is based on Jesus' perfection, on Jesus' righteousness, on Jesus' goodness, on Jesus' obedience to the entire law. And because God accepts you through Jesus, you you can be freed from trying to measure up from trying to achieve, from trying to check every single jot off of your religious checklist. You can be freed from, really, from from that sort of slavery that leads to a life that's really not very much fun. It's not very pleasurable. It's not going to lead to much joy. See, the gospel gospel frees you from, from the pretended requirement that you have to measure up before God's going to accept you. The gospel says that you actually can't ever measure up. 
There's no list that you could ever keep that would make God approve of you. Your sin is too deep. But Jesus wipes it out through his death on the cross. Jesus gives you his approval before God freely. And, and you see, that's supposed, to just, that's supposed to just let you take a deep breath, people. Do you do that? Listen, it's really going to be okay. There's going to be some hard things in life. There's going to be suffering in life. But there's also many, many good things in this life. And when you're resting in Jesus, you can enjoy them. You're free. All things are lawful. The gospel frees you to enjoy life. But secondly, the gospel also frees you to live for the sake of others. And both of those things are true at the same time. Look at what Paul says back in verse 23. All things are lawful, but now the other shoes dropping. Not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. And then he summarizes there in 24. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of the neighbor. So secondly, Paul is counterbalancing what he just said in approving of that Corinthian slogan, all things are lawful, by looking at the Corinthians and saying, but not everything is helpful. Not everything is going to build up. Not everything is going to lead to loving and serving other people, your neighbors. So in the previous point, Paul's combating the legalist party, right? The people that think they have to obey every little jot and tittle of God's law in order to measure up. And now God, or Paul, is, he's, combating the, he's fighting against the license party. He's saying, you can't just say, God loves me, therefore I can go do whatever I want. Life is good, let's party, let's do whatever, man, we're free. No, that's, that's a misuse of God's freedom. That's a misuse of the gospel. And really what that looks like for most of us, when we are in our living thinking that... Uh, that because God loves us, we can go, with, go do whatever we want. That, that generally manifests itself like this. What I do in my own time is my business. The hobbies I have, the things I do for fun, that, that's, that's my business. You can't tell me what to do. It's not hurting anybody else, and so I'm allowed to do it. That is, that's a modern-day version of the license group. And, and let me just tell you something very clearly. It's also just flat out not true. It's not true that what you do in private only affects you. It's not true that what you do in your own free time, if it's not like physically injuring someone, isn't going to hurt anyone else. No, what you do in private, what you do for fun, what you do for recreation has an impact, not just on you, but on other people. It impacts your relationships. It impacts your church life. It impacts your city. It does matter. And Paul's saying here, you can't just go do whatever you want and say, my business is my business. What you do on your own time is not just your business. And so Paul says, the question you should be asking is not, listen, the question you should be asking when it comes to how the gospel impacts my recreational life is not, am I allowed to do this? That's not the question. The question is, since I'm allowed to do this, will this be helpful? The question is not, am I allowed to do this? The question is, is this going to edify? The question is not, well, this isn't explicitly forbidden, so I guess I can do whatever I want. The question is, how are you going to use your freedom 
to love others while you're enjoying and having enjoying yourself and having fun at the same time. The question is not fundamentally one of is this something that's illegal in God's eyes? The question is one of since I am free, how can I best serve others in every element, in every aspect of my life, even in my my fun, even in my leisure, even in my recreation? You see Paul is calling us here to think principally We live by principles. And the principle he's laying out is that you are free to do all things and you you are called to serve and love other people. Recreation and fun and enjoyment in the Christian life is governed by that principle. Now, a lot of us, we just want... A lot of us just want our church to give us a big list, you know, like uh, the bylaws. And the bylaws, they're going to be bigger than the Bible. And we want the list of here's what you can do and here's what you can't do. And then we'll take the book home and... A little dust will collect on it, but every now and then we'll look at it and we'll know if we're doing it right or if we're doing it wrong. That that actually would be much easier. But it's just not biblical. The Bible says you're free. And use your freedom as an opportunity, yes, to enjoy life, yes, to pursue God's good creation, but also at the same time to serve and to love people. And so what I want to do just for the next couple of minutes, and we're going to wrap up with this, is think about what that might look like practically in some of the and some of the things that we all might do for fun. And listen, I'm not picking on any one person here. I could have thought of a hundred of these examples. But these are just a couple of the examples that I thought of that we might do as a means of recreation, as a means of enjoying ourselves. And I want us to think about how the gospel might impact the way we think through these things. So let me ask this first. Am I free to, am I free to watch the Dallas Cowboys on Sundays? Am I free? Am I free to? We're not in Dallas. Let's say the, the cow, Let's say the NFL comes to San Antonio. Am I free to go to whoever the San Antonio NFL team on Sundays? Well, I'm not. I'll be here. Um, but yes, you are free. You're free. There's no book and rule in the Bible that says you can't go to NFL games, but there is a rule, by the way, that says don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together, Hebrews 10.25. So assuming you're not missing church, um, are you free to, to be a sports fan, to, to enjoy sports, to, to follow your favorite team, to go to games? Yes, you're free to do that. That's a great thing in many ways, but you have to ask more questions. Is that going to edify? Is it going to serve and love other people? And, and to answer that question, you have to ask yourself more questions, you know. Is following the Cowboys or the Packers or the 49ers or whoever something that you really get pleasure out of? Or is it a little too intensive for you so that you get really, really angry or distraught when things don't go well for your team and your family hates being around you for the rest of the week? Baylor played uh, in a bowl game. On New Year's Day, January 1st. Baylor was 11-1 and this year. I love Baylor football. And they played Michigan State. And they blew the game. I mean, they blew it. They choked the game in gut-wrenching fashion. And uh, I love football, man. I was following football. And I was just kind of ticked the rest of the day. Like, literally, I was ticked off. And I was a little shorter with the kids and, and with Marianne. And that's not good. That's not edifying. And so, yes, you're free to follow sports, to be a sports guy, to love your football, to play fantasy sports. You're free, but you need to be asking yourself also, is, is this something that's going to help me love other people well? Or, I'm, or do I get angry when my teams perform 
for, p- perform poorly? Do, does, it edify my, does it edify my family when they watch you watch a game? Those are great questions to ask. Those are the sorts of things that Paul is calling us here to as we think about how the gospel impacts our fun life. Here's another one. Um, am I free to be a, a Facebook and Twitter and Pinterest and Instagram, whatever else, a social media lurker or maven or fanatic? Am I free to have those apps like on my phone, ready to boop, 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 status update? Uh, man, there's a lot I could say here. Let me try and be brief. Yes. <laughs> yes. You're free. I mean, those things are fun. It's okay to admit that. Uh, it's fun to follow old friends. It's, it's fun to read funny or interesting or important articles that you see linked on Facebook. It's, it's, uh, it's amazing to appreciate the marvelous technology that demonstrate, that's demonstrated in those sorts of social media things. But, but the big question is, is those, are those things going to edify as I pursue them and as I enjoy them and as I have fun in them? Well, you have to ask yourself other questions to answer that one. Does Facebook make you, make you want to serve and love people more, or does it make you despise people more? That's a good question. Does Facebook make you care for people, or does Facebook make you jealous or say, I hope I never have to see that person again. What they've written the last 15 statuses have driven me crazy, especially during election seasons. Just delete Facebook during your election season. It's, it's terrible at that point. But that's, a, that's an important question you need to ask. Does Facebook cause envy and greed in your heart? Does Twitter take you, take you out of real community with real people and put you into pretend community across just, what is it, binary code? Those are the questions that you have to ask as we seek to live out the principle of enjoying life by faith in the gospel and yet also loving and serving others. A couple more, okay? Am I free to be a movie buff or a TV buff and to watch all the highly acclaimed films and, and TV shows? Can a Christian watch Breaking Bad or Mad Men? Can a Christian go see all the movies that are nominated for Best Picture? Yes, you are free. Unless it's something like Fifty Shades of Grey. I'm dead serious. That's... It's a tough line to toe, but that one is easy. It's uh, oppressive to women. It's explicitly pornographic. It's horrible and wicked, and we should protest it rather than pay money to see it. But usually, on most cases, you're free. Yeah, you're free to pursue those things. And there's a lot of great things about that. Loving beautiful art and storytelling that's rich and that captures your imagination is a great thing. Enjoying acting, being done well, is a wonderful thing. But you have to also ask yourself, is, is my pursuit of pleasure in this regard going to edify people? Is it going to help me love people well? Is it something I can do with friends and build relationships? If it is, then that's something you should pursue. That's a great thing to do. But you also need to be thinking about questions like this. Is this something that's going to cause me to stumble either into sexual immorality or into anger or to greed or into covetousness or into something else? You have to ask yourself, is watching something that might be a little bit gritty or edgy going to, is it going to harden me to the realities of a very broken world? Is it going to make me look at sin and not be despondent and and weep over it any longer? Those are questions that you need to ask yourself when you're asking, is this going to edify me? Is it going to be helpful to others? Is it going to help me serve people? Fundamentally, your recreation, your play, your fun 
is an issue of love for others, you see. And there are many, many things in our lives that we can do for fun and involve others in and glorify God in doing. As Paul says in 1031, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink or anything, do it for the glory of God. Do it. Go have fun. Enjoy your life. Do it for God's glory. Bring other people along with you, but also ask yourself, is this going to edify? Is this going to help? Is this going to enable me to love and serve others well or not? That's my take on what the scripture has to say to us about how the gospel might impact our recreation, our fun. And let me close with this. It's always important for us to remember that we have this freedom. We have this this opportunity to enjoy the many great things of creation. And we have this freedom to serve and to love others in our enjoyment of these things because Jesus gave up his freedom to give it to you. You are, you are free to enjoy life because Jesus, for a time, took on slavery and the bondage that God's wrath brings against sin. You are, you are free to love and to serve others because Jesus, in his life, death, and resurrection, loved and served you. You see, only the gospel will enable you to be able to put these two things together. Yeah, I'm going to have hobbies. Yeah, I'm going to enjoy my life. Yeah, I want to have fun. Play is an important part of being a whole person. But also, I live to serve other people, to love other people, to edify. The gospel enables you to do both of those things and to do them at the same time. So whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it for the glory of God because Jesus has won for you. Freedom and forgiveness. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for time together in your word. And Lord, on a topic that is uh, something that's important for us to thank you, thank through, we, we are grateful that your word gives us principles. It gives us guidance. It calls us to obedience and to conviction. And Lord, we pray that what we've heard tonight would not just go in ear one in one ear and out the other, but that we would rather be hearers of the uh, doers of the word and not just hearers of it. And Lord, we ask that you would help us to believe that in Christ we are free. Help us to enjoy life, Lord. Help us to be good stewards of creation by uh, loving the many things that you have given to us that are good. And also, God, help us to be thoughtful and wise as we consider how we're going to pursue pleasure and fun and relaxation. Is it going to build up others? Is it going to edify people? Is it going to promote love and service to our fellow man? God, give us the wisdom as a community and as individuals to think through these sorts of questions well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.